I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Spit here with you. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales, spitting surf talk at you. All things surf talk. Straight from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. That's right. I'm glad you brought that up, David, because in front of me I have a flyer which is promoting the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center's first annual golf safari fundraiser. It's right across the street here at the San Juan Hills Golf Club. It's Monday, September 18th. You're going to want to get your golf clubs, perhaps play in bare feet. They have a picture of Duke Konomoku here swinging the golf club. He has a mean-looking follow-through. That classic photo of him standing on the beach. It's the first of many golf safari fundraisers at the San Juan Hills Golf Club. Reception, lunch, 18 holes of golf. So for tickets and info regarding Shaq's first annual golf safari fundraiser, go to surfingheritage.org or info at surfingheritage.org. Sign up for the golf tournament Monday, September 18th. You'll be playing along all sorts of legends or pseudo legends or just guys with board shorts. I was going to say you offered uh, that people could come in uh, with no shoes. Is that actually, or is the golf club going to amend their policy for this event? Well, San Juan Hills Golf Club's pretty, pretty casual. It's pretty casual. <laughs> All right. I don't think there's a dress code. All right, cool. I'm unfamiliar with them. Well, dude, yes. good to see you. Yeah, good to be seen. I feel like lots to catch up on, man. Yeah. Did you, um, under the category of follow up, did you ever go to that 10,000 Maniacs concert? You had tickets, but you weren't sure if you were going to. Didn't go. I tell you I went to that thing? You that? Oh, I was, we talked the day of. And oh, you're like I've got these tickets, but honestly, I don't. think Yeah, I'm I go. went. It was horrible. No, it was so bad. Well, I mean, first of all, I should you know, look, I would never go to Ten Thousand Maniacs except my wife wanted to go. Yeah. So, um, I don't know any of their songs. Here's what was it was it was fascinating because. I got. I always sit up above and look down on everyone at the belly up, and and I was. <laughs> I thought you were talking about metaphorically, like in life. That's where you. Like sadly, to, I that's sometimes. The position that's that's sadly. I should humble myself, but <laughs> I'm just joking. Dude. Um, and so, 
you realize that there's people that know the words to every single song. Like there was this one groupie chick that was just having so much fun and just a huge smile on her face and swaying back and forth and literally singing the songs better and in better time than the girl who was taking Natalie Merchant's place. Right. And then there's, so there's that whole dichotomy too. So there's this girl that took Natalie Merchant's place, right? So did we talk about this already that... I always go through the mentality of, okay, so the band's hiring somebody to take Natalie Merchant's place. They hire this girl. The girl's agent's probably going, okay, well, she's not going to sing only Natalie Merchant songs. She's got her whole list of songs that she needs to perform. And you could kind of see when it was time to sing a Natalie Merchant song that she was like, all right, here I go being Natalie Merchant, you know? And, oh, wow. And of course, all the fans just want to hear Natalie Merchant songs, Absolutely. you know? But they had this new CD that they were touring with, right? So Terrible. it was just like, and, and I didn't care either way. So I was sort of looking down on it, like trying to watch all the politics of it play out, you know? But I was blown away that there were, that there are 10,000 Maniacs fans. I guess that's how much of a bubble I'm in. <laughs> that, Dude, that I'm there a- was people that were swaying. Not very many people, mind you. Yeah. But there was people. And there was guys, which kind of blew me away. There was guys. There was one or two guys that looked like they were, you know, on something. Yeah. <laughs> and just so engaged in it with their eyes closed and sort of swaying back and forth and singing, mouthing the words to every song. And then... They'd strike up a new song and like the first quarter of the song and the guy would immediately know what song it was. And I'd be like, why is this guy all excited? He's jumping up and down like he's about to hear some great song. But do you not like the music? Uh, I, look, I like all music for the record. You know, it's not that I don't like the music, but um, it's a little, you know, it. it's I guess I'm more into like sort of a driving rock and roll sort of blues kind of Stevie Ray Vaughan, ZZ Top kind of. Yeah. Vibe, you yeah. know? Now, that's not to say that I don't like Natalie Merchant and 10,000 Maniac songs, you know? But I'm not... Well... I, but I don't like 10,000 Maniac and Natalie Merchant songs. When you told me you were going, that Sunday I was staying with family in Del Mar, and I told them, I'm like, 10,000 Maniacs are playing at the Belly Up, and they're like, seriously? We should totally go to that. So we looked up tickets. It was sold out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I bought tickets way in advance. Yeah. So. so I was considering going. And I was like... You could have got in. It didn't really sold out to me. I've okay. seen the belly up sold out. Well, that's what we thought. Like online, that's what my aunt suggested. She's like, we should just go to the box office because they might have tickets there even if it says sold out. Anyway, we didn't end up going. But I've been listening to 10,000 Maniacs since then. All right. Like just because of that, I'm like, I'm going to go revisit. I seem to remember really liking uh, Our Time in Eden is the album. It's freaking so good, dude, from beginning <laughs> to end. And you say you it's don't lame. know the songs. I'm saying you probably No, do. I did. I, there was two or three songs where I was like, okay, I know the chorus. Like, I get it. It's catchy. And, it's a and little poppy, for sure, as yeah. opposed to, like, your rock and roll explanation. But with that in mind, like, I love pop music occasionally. You know what I mean? It was Here's really- what's interesting. The best song, the song that I thought was the best. Yeah. Apparently, 10,000 Maniacs existed pre-Natalie Merchant. Didn't know that. And I don't know where they played or something, but they set up the song like, here's the song that really got us going. Um, We want to thank blah, blah, blah from KZYW back in 87, who played this song originally for us. And we got some some play out of a college radio station. And thank you so much. And this is what got us going. And they started playing the song and there was no girl in it. It was the, the rhythm guitar dude who looked about 80 years old. Wow. And he was the singer. And so it made me realize, okay, so they kind of got 
some footing pre-Natalie Merchant. Yeah. But by the way, how do you replace Natalie Merchant? I mean, she's well, such look, a tour de force. The girl, I know, right? And the girl was good. She was very good. But yeah. I mean, it was even billed as 10,000 Maniacs featuring Kathy Lee Joyner or whoever okay. she was. I don't know. Barry Hill, Kathy Barry Hill or something. Okay. So you can tell that their management was like, look, she's going to join your band because she's the best one. And she was good. She was a good, she sounded vaguely similar, I guess. Yeah. But you know that the management was like, it's going to have to be 10,000 Maniacs featuring my artist's name. It's not going to yeah. just, you know what I mean? I know. That's kind of a miss. He's kind of playing his cards wrong, you know, like, because I don't know that woman's name. Maybe she'll become something and I'll be wrong. But, but why else? would? I mean, I'm assuming the no, management you're right. did that. But why else would they do that? That's why not why, just be 10,000 Maniacs? That's why they would do that. Right. Does anybody know the guy who's currently leading ACDC? Isn't it? The guy from Guns N' Roses? <laughs> no, he's like a Filipino dude, I think. But no, that's like Journey. Oh, you're that's right. Journey. You're right. You're right. It's ACDC is the one I'm thinking about, though, not the Filipino guy. But it's but like there's a new guy. He sounds exactly like Steve Perry. Yeah. No. From no. No. Journey. Oh, that too. But yeah. I'm saying the ACDC guy too sounds exactly the same. Yeah. You know, like they find people who mimic the voice exactly. And who knows if they're actually a good singer, like outside of that mimicry. Right. But they've got those songs down. Right. You know, and the journey guy's insane. And I actually, insane. he's yeah. so good that he's, he's actually, did you see the rock and roll hall of fame induction? With I heard journey? about it, but I didn't see it. Okay. It was really cool. Cause Steve Perry got up and you know, there was some, yeah. there's been some bickering between journey, the front man, guitar guy and Steve Perry. And there was all this talk about, Oh, is Steve Perry going to sing? Right. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and right. he didn't. But the one thing he did do, and did maybe you and I talked. I've had this conversation. It feels like it was with you, but mm -hmm. he got up and he pointed out to the new singer and he said, "I love this guy. He's doing a great job. You know, I'm very proud of the way he's, you know, pre presenting the songs." Yeah. And I forget the guy's name, but he's really good, as you mentioned, and he's super tight now. This also happened, and there's been a movie made about this, as you know, perhaps Rockstar. It's with um, oh yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, yeah, right. And that story is based off of a true thing that happened with um, oh god, what's that really, really the Monsters of Metal, the like super radical metal band, not the Scorpions. Noir? Uh, how's your metal? Are you a metalhead? You know, no, no, this is like the number one metal band like the the one that um anyway i don't know dude i can't believe i'm forgetting it because i i can see them all on stage you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah i yeah. know who they are but um my point is is that this actually happened um the the lead singer came out as gay uh, this is a true story right okay. for this band and i can't it's going to come to me and you need to do some research and well, help me with this let me read off some names real quick to help you was it manowar Hammerfall, Halloween, Anthrax, <laughs> Blind Garden, Primal Fear. No, huge. Way bigger than all okay. of these. Iron Maiden. They're, they're in there with Iron Maiden, that level. Sepultura. No. All right. Sorry. Um, they're gnarly. They come out on stage with Harleys. Okay. <laughs> they're heavy. <laughs> anyway, I cannot believe I can't remember. But anyway, it wouldn't be a show without me forgetting something, right? That's all good, man. So anyways, came out as gay. Yeah, and so the band's like, oh, my God, we can't have this. We got to find it. And he, I think he might have quit the band at that point. Okay. And they got a guy that sounds just like him. His name's Steve Alford. The lead singer's name is, I think, Stephen Alford or okay. Stephen. Uh, anyway, um, so they got a guy, and he sounded just like him. And that's what that rock star movie is based on. Okay. And the 
what always, not always, but what happens is the guy gets jealous of how good the fill-in guy is. Kind of like me with Chaz and you. That's how I, and, 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 he, and he quit. And he, no, he comes back. Okay. He's like, damn it, I'm coming back. And so Steve Alford from, um, God, what's, is, is Steve Alford coming out? I'm, I'm Googling his name. It might not be the name, but. There's no, I mean, I can't find it. I'm Googling all the things metal, that you're saying. Best mevi- heavy metal bands of all time. I can cut out the dead air if we hit it. Judas Priest. So Judas Priest, the guys, and, and I think it's his name's Steve Alford or something. Anyway, he came out the lead singer. But now you can see, like, even if you Google Judas Priest right now, he's back in the band because the replacement was so good that he got bummed. Like, they were touring and he could hit every high note because those high notes on Judas Priest songs are super hard to, to, so gnarly. to hit. But And so the same thing happened um, in Rockstar. The guy comes back. And you would think with Journey, my point is, and this is just a long-winded version, my point is is that you'd think with Journey that Steve Perry would go, oh, my God, they're nailing it. They're making a lot of money. I need to go back. And all the Journey fans want Steve Perry, even though this other guy's really good. Yeah, yeah. They all want Steve Perry to come out and sing the songs. There was even a a YouTube clip of Steve Perry at like a Chicago Cubs game or something where they were singing one of the, you know, the the PA announcer or whatever, they were playing one of the Journey songs. It might have been a San Francisco Giants game, maybe, right? And they're mm-hmm. singing When the Lights Go Out in the City and the Sun Beats on the Bay, you know that. And they they focus in on Steve Perry and he's singing it and they, Steve Perry sees that the camera's got him and he stands up and everyone's going crazy yeah. that Steve Perry is now joining in his song. Right. It was a pretty cool moment. I think you can YouTube it. So did you like that movie, Rockstar? I never saw it. I actually watched it yesterday, believe it or not. Just randomly, I was wow. clicking through. I watched like five seconds of it. Okay. It was silly. It was stupid. Jennifer Aniston's in it, which is pretty... Incredible. Incredible. She She's... She's fascinating. So <laughs> fascinating. That's the word you used to describe her? Fascinating. So, <laughs> so um, I was going to say that about Natalie Merchant, where I always had a crush on her, even though she's far from classically beautiful. Isn't she lesbian? Maybe. I have no idea. I was all under the impression that she was lesbian. I don't know. But like, it, she's far from classically beautiful, but there's just something about her stage presence that is sensual you know what i mean and it was like as a 16 year old david scales i was just like wow she really knows herself and like knows her body and like the way she moves and oh, like, you fantasized about her you, you have fantasized about her about haven't? absolutely <laughs> i had a poster on my wall oh my now, god but there was something about her that was just captive. that's the difference between you and i i've got farrah fawcett majors on my wall and you've got natalie merchant i you think have, that sums it up you have far better taste than i do obviously no but it wasn't again it wasn't like like fawning over her beauty, it was like it triggered something in a 16 year old David that was like, Wow, this woman is interesting. That's you know what I mean? Way too much information. Hilarious. You want me to go deeper? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> hey, the problem. I don't need you to go any that. deeper. Uh, by the way, Holy so, shit. so w- another follow up from our last episode Glenn Hall, we were talking about coaching yes. the Australian team when they go to the Olympics or yes. that he would potentially, even though uh, what's his name, B. Durbich was hired on. Glenn Hall's actually Irish. Right. So did you get the email from Chris Johnson about that? Oh, yeah. I did get that. My other buddy texted me beforehand. That's who I was going to credit. But you're right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't have it in front of me. So one of our listeners from New Zealand, Chris Johnson, who's who's an avid listener, and he's a smart guy, and he's always um, sending us emails and telling us how wrong we've got things. Often, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, he mentioned that, look, Glenn Hall surfed for Ireland during, I don't know, what was it, some world games, something? ISA world games yeah. or something? So he represented another country at this yeah. point. So it wouldn't be beyond Glenn Hall to coach the USA surf team. Right. The precedent has been set. Yeah, and he is he was born in Ireland, but he's lived in Australia basically his whole life. So that's why we made that confusion. I actually got another email um, from... Longtime listener of the show, Dave from Maruba, Marubra, 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 which is the Bra Boys area, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he said, uh, "quote Good job on the Aussie slang, but to improve and practice your repertoire a little more for more international listeners, see if you can translate the below text on the U.S. Olympic surf team." All right, Scott. I'm going to give you his text. You have to translate what it means. Okay. All right. If the Olympics were held right now, then the Seppos would have Buckley's dead set. Even if you pinch micro, you drongos will be as dry as a nunny's nasty if you plan if you're planning on a piss up. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what we do know right away. If it's an Australian talking about American, it's gonna be bad for America. Exactly. So a Seppo say it's a Seppo I don't know what a Buckley is. Right. But he's basically saying even with Glenn Micro Hall as your coach, you guys are going to be lame. And what was the nannies, nunnies? Yeah, dry as a nun's nasty. Okay, so you know dry as a nun's nasty is her vaginal area? Yes. And what was the other part of it? If you're planning on a piss-up. If we're planning on a piss-up, which means going to ha- have a party, a celebration. Okay. All right. What are, what's the word drongos? Even if you pinch micro, you drongos will be as dry as... A drongo is obviously some sort of... Negative connotation to Americans on a drongo. Yeah. doesn't sound positive. I know that. Yeah. None of it sounded upbeat. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dave from Marubra. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he says... Marubra. Marubra. Let's just say he's from Aruba. He is from Aruba. Dave from Aruba. Um, He says, hope that works for you guys. Looking forward to the next podcast. So there you go. Hmm. All right. Thanks for that listener feedback. Hey, if they want to send you feedback, Scott, how do they get it to you? Uh, Scott at boardroomshow.com. And then I'm at hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Um, all right. On to surf talk, dude. What's what's on your side of the ledger? Um, let's see here. We've got tons. Yeah. I'm going to start off with something hideously boring, but I, it needs to be discussed. So I'm going to try to rip through it really quick. Okay. It's important. The more important things are, the more boring they are, generally speaking. All right. Oil drilling along Pacific Coast. I know. Oh, <laughs> snore fest, dude. It's a snore fest. One of our readers sent, one of our listeners sent this to me. Oh, no. Yes. And I said, you know what? I, it's important. The, we don't, don't owe them this. The, no, you can, you, this is, you're the arbiter of what is served. I thought talk. our thing was let the listeners be a big part of the Only show. Only if they have something interesting to say. No, I'm just kidding. Go. go President ahead. Trump in April ordered a review of the expansion to 11 sanctuaries and monuments, including four that surround the Channel Islands and cover the California coast from San Luis Obispo to Point Arena in Mendocino County, shielding 12,300 square miles from oil drilling and other energy extraction. Trump's order established a national policy to, quote, encourage energy exploration and production in offshore waters to maintain the nation's position as a global energy leader. More than 99% of the people who submitted comments to the Department of Commerce on Trump's order advocated 
leaving the sanctuaries in place, the Marine Conservation Institute has said. The four California sanctuaries protected places such as Monterey Canyon, the Farallon Islands, Cordell Bank, and a biologically rich seamount off the Marin Coast. So there you have it. Trump is sort of nudging towards the expansion of um, of allowing for exploration and potential drilling in some of our marine sanctuaries along California's coast, which is kind of bullshit. But, you know, we do run that fine line here between, um, you know, talking about fun stuff and real life politics, which yeah. is really I mean, this isn't a political show, but it kind of is. But when we you start a, screwing with us, we're like, hey, F you. Or we all have a responsibility to environmental protection, of course, as surfers, I think more than maybe some other people. But that actually, um, I was giving you a hard time about it, but I did see that news. And it was actually on the homepage of Patagonia's website. They I think you, I might have seen it there, maybe. Yeah, YouTube video. With, or no, this guy sent it to me from there. Okay. Yeah. It was a YouTube video with Yvonne Chouinard. So we'll definitely post that video up on um, spitpodcast.com so you can check it out. But yeah, really, they're doing a great job at kind of spearheading a lot of the environmental activism movements and creating awareness anyways for guys like you and I. So, yeah, on yeah. board, dude. Yeah. Well, so we've got um, the Mavericks news. We've got the Trestles event coming up. We've got... Okay, All sorts well, of stuff. Do you have anything you'd like to lead with? Yeah, let's talk about Mavericks because I think that's fascinating. The WSL has added Mavericks to its Big Wave World Tour calendar. They've purchased Mavericks for a little more than half a million dollars from, I guess, from 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 uh, Griffin Gas. Cartel management? Or did they buy it from the court? I'm not sure. But It's, it's basically, uh, it was in bankruptcy. So yeah. I don't know where the money actually goes, but it isn't finalized until... The bankruptcy judge signs off on yeah, it. Yeah, but all signs are pointing towards. Everyone seems to be thinking. Um, in fact, Sophie Goldschmidt, the CEO of the World Surf League, had this to say. We're delighted to have the opportunity to work with the big wave community in bringing the Mavericks event to life on the international stage. The league has always held a huge amount of respect for both the venue and its community as one of the pillars of big wave surfing. My question to you about this. In the past, the Mavericks people, the event organizers, its as you know, the Mavericks event was about the local surfers there. That is no longer the, going to be the case. If you're a local surfer at Mavericks and you think that you know you have a shot at surfing in this event, you're, you do not. This is going to be for the big wave world tour. So for the first time ever, all the guys that surf there are on the out looking in. Uh, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Well... Um, I don't think obviously it's as easy to say. I it initially it looks like a bad thing, obviously, because I read a quote from Zach Warmhound, who Warmhout, 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 Warmhout. Did you say Warmhound? No, Warmhout. I'm Zach, replay the tape. Okay. Zach, what? Warmhout, Warmhout. <laughs> That's a tough name. Let's, Let's just, just keep Zach. saying it. Um. So, anyways, he was saying that he's been in the event for ten. Or nine, I guess. The last consecutive nine events or something like that. Yeah. And this will be the first one that he doesn't get to surf because now it's run by the WSL. So when you read something like that, you go, well, th that's not fair at all. You have to give him a pass into the event. However, the same things – we've had the same conversation at Pipeline, you know, and they run trials events to try to get locals into the thing. So 
what what it seems to be the workaround solution is that there is a CT level or a WSL kind of top level event that takes place there. In this case, the Big Wave World Tour event, and then maybe a secondary event that takes place like the Vulcan Pipe Pro does at Pipeline. You know what I mean? There's some other organization that comes along and holds maybe a I don't know qualifying type. I doubt series that'll event. happen. I, I don't. You don't think my, there could well, be two my, events at Mavericks? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be permitting for two events. That they, yeah. they kind of you know wrap the whole season around waiting for that one killer day for this event. Yeah. Um, could there be two events? Sure. There's well, definitely well, numerous days where it's good. And but last does, year, do the locals really want that? I mean, my feeling is a lot of these guys kind of like push the WSL aside and put all their chips in with the Titans of Mavericks. And we're like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And, okay. And so now they're kind of like, oh, well, I guess I should have m- maybe like walked the middle ground here and been open to the potential that yeah. eventually I was going to need to suck up to the WSL. I, there's so much political stuff underneath this, which is interesting. Like, how does Peter Mel play into this? Well, Peter Mel's now going to surf in the event. He's not the commissioner. He's not the commissioner. And he's a former champion. Right? Like the last two times ago that didn't he yeah. win it? Yeah. So two thousand thirteen maybe. And then where's Jeff Clark on all this? If you read between the lines on some of the press, this is it Griffin Guess? Yes. This Griffin Guess guy who owns cartel management was all like cheery and chummy with the WSL. Like, it's the greatest thing ever. I'm so glad that they're doing it. They're gonna put it on it. Like all of a sudden he's singing a totally different tune. Yeah. Which to me seems like because he gets to hold on to the Titans of Mavericks as a soft, as a licensing thing and a software thing, or soft goods, I should say, he's probably going to want to sell some product on there during their prod- broadcast. I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Th- first of all, no one's going to buy Titans of Mavericks. No. Anything. No. Okay. So you might as well just flush that down the toilet. Yeah. But it looks like he's going to try. Like he's everybody. Basically, everybody's chumming up to the WSL all of a sudden. You know, Jeff Clark's like, oh yeah, WSL. Of course, they're the best. Griffin guess, oh yeah, WSL, Unreal, they're the best. Everybody's either kind of chumming up or they realize, oh man, I played my cards and I lost this hand. And they're like, <clears throat> like Grant Washburn's like, maybe the best thing is for the whole event to just go away, which is code for we tried, we failed, and we don't want anyone else in. Right. Well, do you think though that you said like these guys basically pushed the WSL aside and tried to do it on their own through the Titans of Mavericks? Were they pushing the WSL aside? I mean, were they given an option years ago? Like, hey, you guys either pick the WSL route or pick doing it on your own or finding an uh, organization. Well, I, th- I don't remember that happening. I think and maybe that, it did. I think that there, at some point, Peter Maus, the commissioner back then, probably made overtures to the, to the Titans of Mavericks. Like, hey, let's include your event as part of the WSL Big Wave Tour. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I'm sure that... Hey, maybe we can work together, and I and I'm quite positive it was like hell no, this is my deal. You know, we'll show you how to run the Mavericks event, and you know, I and, and, I don't know if it was that adversarial, but I'm sure let's that keep the WSL reached out and said, hey, we want this as part of the Big Wave World Tour. Let's develop our own storyline and say that it is actually that's exactly how it went down. I'm pretty and sure it's it. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Obviously, they wouldn't ignore it. But you're right, though. That and then the when surfers- Peter wanted to be in the event and yeah. he wasn't allowed to because he was the commissioner. Yeah. That was kind of weird, right? Yeah, but I think isn't that a WSL policy? It wasn't like the Titans stiff-armed him. It's the WSL I, I who surfers can't surf in non-sanctioned events. Right. You know, but 
you're right, though. I could see that the surfers would have made that choice early on because they wouldn't have been able to surf in the WSL event. So they want an event there that they can surf in, obviously. Yeah, as as is often the case, the the labor kind of got screwed. Yeah, you know the labor being the surf surfers. Yeah, yeah. and you know the bourgeoisie sort of has shifted. Well, know, who who owns the means of production? But and let's be honest, that's the blame seems to squarely fall on cartel management for any of this oh, getting mismanaged. Sure. It's not like the surfers made the wrong misstep or anything like that. Like cartel management owes $5 million. They're being sued. Body glove withdrew their lawsuit of 1.5. So I guess that's 3.5 that are still out there unpaid sponsor dollars and stuff like that. So that's how the whole thing fell apart. So it's a shame for everybody involved to have gotten taken advantage of, you know, do Um, you feel like what Grant Washburn said, which is maybe this whole thing should just disappear and it should just be a big wave spot and that's it. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You don't think another... I mean... I think the Mavericks event should be a CT event. Yeah, I mean, that would be the best possible scenario. That's exactly We've talked what about happen. it on the show and I do think that's the best possible scenario. The reality is I said I don't care because whenever we see these big wave world tour events, they're more often than not underwhelming. Boring. Boring. Yeah. So it's not like they're executing it as well as they execute the pipe masters and you and I get this spectacular show. Right. Whether they run the event or not, we're still going to get to see the best waves of that day. And would I rather see Jamie Mitchell doing it in the event or, you know, whoever? I think it's way more fascinating if it's the WCT guys. You think so? Absolutely. Oh, no, the WCT guys for sure. But I'm just saying the w, the Big Wave World Tour guys versus the local Chargers, that that I either one's fine. Well, with they're me. kind of the same guys. Not necessarily. Like I said, Jamie Mitchell's surfing the, the SL Who are events. the WSL Big Wave guys that are also Mavericks guys that are in the Titans of Mavericks? Jamie Mitchell is one of them. Is he on the WSL Big Wave? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's one of them, right? So he, he's a crossover guy. Grant Twiggy Baker, remember he was – forced out of the Titans of Mavericks thing. They wouldn't let him surf, and he was the defending right. champion right? because he was a WSL guy. So there is bad blood there. Yeah. I'm looking up the names. Nick Lamb would be one of them. Um, so he's, he Francesco goes, Porcella's been out there a handful of times. Yeah. So you're getting some of them. Pete Mel, obviously. Damo Hobgood's been out there a few times. Makua. Is Makua on the Mavericks, Titans of Mavericks thing? I don't know if he was, but he's definitely, he's seventh right now on the Big Wave World Tour. Rusty Long, Grant. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm all for the WCT. Yeah, I agree. Get that, rid of the Big Wave World Tour and just do the WCT. How sick would it, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but getting a Big Wave spot on the CT yeah, tour. No, you got to have it. It'd be so insane. It'll bring back those days, and you got you and I have talked about it. But the Billabong Pro, I think it was in '86, where guys on the CT just didn't show up for their heat. I think Gary Green maybe was one of them. And um, where was it at? It was at Waimea Bay. Was it was at Waimea? Sunset, and they moved it to Waimea because it was huge. Right. Mr. went out and won it. He was in retirement. He just had a wild card because he was a Billabong team guy, and he won the whole thing. So gnarly. A massive Waimea. And guys were literally CT guys. I mean, this is where you see who's who are the greatest oh, yeah. surfers in the world. Because MR can win at four-foot Bay of Plenty, and he can win at 40-foot Waimea Bay. That's your WCT champion. And I need to see who's got the balls on the WCT. John John. Yeah. 
Thank you. John right? Don, Josh Kerr. Yes. Let yeah. those guys shine. Yeah. You know, and if and if you're whoever you are and you haven't met the metal yet, then you need to kind of step up your game and order a big board and put in your time and get comfortable with it and become the world's best. Who are the past WCT champions that you think maybe couldn't handle it at Mavericks? Could or couldn't? Could not. Could not handle it. Gabe Adriano. Med- Gabe Medina. Adriano. Um, just because they're completely unproven. Yeah, I would suggest to you that both those guys could probably blow our minds at Mavericks, and, and we'd be surprised. And uh, Because I think they would both put in the work. I for sure know Adriano would. And Gabe, Gabe Medina is just so talented. And what is he, 23 years old or something? Yeah, I don't He's know. He's still growing. He's like 6'2", yeah. 180 pounds, and he charges everywhere we've ever seen him. He's never not charged. I mean, and I'm sure that he would do very well. It's a totally different beast. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that he wouldn't. I'm saying he's completely unproven. It's an entirely different thing. Even Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson, world champs, you haven't seen them surf big waves. I would agree with that, that those two characters, like where where were they on that big day at, at Tavarua, the uh, thundercloud yeah. day? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I remember think them Mick Fanning waves. might have paddled out and caught a wave. So what's interesting is guys like Pat Godowskis have proven their mettle. Yeah. Like Pat Godowskis could, could still be on the CT if there was a big wave CT event. Mm-hmm. That could have been an event where he made the semis or better. And, 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 you know, so I think it's important that we determine the world's best surfer, not just at three foot snapper, but in 30 foot waves. Yeah. It, they, it has to, you just, I don't think it's smart to categorize surfers. It, it takes away from who we are as yeah. a sport. Yeah. And I think Mavericks is kind of the perfect venue too. I mean, Jaws, is obviously big as well, but it's almost more perfect. And there's whatever you, whatever ability you have at Honolulu, I think translates a little better to Maverick or to Jaws than it does to Mavericks. I feel like Mavericks is an entirely different skill set involved, um, just because it's such a ledge. Yeah, there, I think it's two different skill sets. I would agree, though. That, yeah, that the ledge at Mavericks is is pretty. Normal. You do have to put in some time there and understand what the wave's going to do, because it will fold and cap and then back off if at a certain size, and then it gets to a size where it just breaks. And mm-hmm. yeah, CT has to be. That's my new. Uh, that's our bumper sticker, dude. We we honestly need to really champion this for like 2019, maybe. Like for let's 18. Let's keep on keeping on. Let's get our listeners. We need a hashtag. We always say that. We you never... just had one right now. Yeah. What is it? Uh, C- <laughs> <I gotta> hashtag <laughs> CT. It's got to be. It's got to be. That doesn't no, really doesn't say what all. we're trying to convey. No, not at all. Um, but so 2018, it'll go on the Big Wave World Tour, but we're rallying for 2019 onto the actual CT. 2019 tour. is the year that the spit version of the CT manifests itself, right? Which yeah. is that thing that I'll say that we've both been championing, even though it's really been me it's that's you. been championing. It's championing. And that is, but you're a fan of this concept. Yeah. Where the swell is the real star. We may have to limit the amount of um, events, but we're looking at eight events, maybe nine events, maybe 10 events, only 20 surfers, 16 guys and four wild cards. You know what somebody mentioned to me? um, I think it was Adam Logan on spitpodcast.com mentioned to prop up what you're talking about, shortening the window. 
running, you know, in a shorter period of time to just run on one swell, basically. You're yeah, talking you have to run on one swell. Yeah. I agree with that. He was saying, why not implement Kelly Slater's alternative heat form or uh, overlapping heats like we do at the Pipe Masters more more frequently and throughout the rest of the year? Why is that only at the Pipe Masters event? Yeah, some spots don't lend themselves real good to that. Um, I want to say like Chopu where there's one takeoff spot. You know, it has to be a kind of a wide open playing field for that. Like Margaret's makes sense. Or I think there's a lot of spots, probably more spots than not, that do make sense for that. But I think there's a couple spots where it's... See, I think it makes sense even at Chopu because there's more than two waves in a set oftentimes. So that's, yeah. that's really what you're planning on. Yeah, maybe that's maybe I'm not because there's a I'm lot not of, against that at all. I think there's a lot be, of waves in the heat that go unridden. But and is he trying to keep it at 32 guys? He wasn't. He wasn't commenting on that. Yeah, and maybe you can, but he's just no. Saying, we don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, it's I'm champing. So. <laughs> so, but the point is, like, this will help achieve the goal in one way or the other of running the event in a shorter period of time on one swell. Yeah. And the other thing that they do with that overlapping heat format is their 40 minute heats. So you get 20 minutes of your heat is the priority and then 20 minutes of your, or it actually starts the first 20 is your not priority. Right. Your, the other heat has priority. And then the back half of your heat is priority. So you get longer heats, less waves go unridden, which it makes it better for the viewer. If you're in the first heat, you only get a 20 minute heat. No, you get 40 full minutes then. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. As far as I remember, anyways. But well, anyways, the format works great at Pipe Masters. Yeah, that's... Look, I'm, like I said, I'm open to that. The most important thing is that we have a large uh, waiting period for the right swell. Yeah. And we're capable of being lean and mean and moving. We have to trim down the production staff. We have to trim down some of the stuff to get a better, uh, tighter, leaner, meaner tour. And we're going to do that in 2019. And that's going to include a big wave world's tour spot is now just the CT, whether it's Maverick or Jaws or Waimea. I think we can still have the big wave world tour as well. You don't even think so? I you mean, don't think you need it? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, from a business standpoint, maybe it makes the WSL money. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just talking from a fan's perspective. Yeah. I just want to see the best surfers in the world. And oh, by the way, they have to ride 30 foot waves and three foot waves. Yeah. I've got a question for you. This came directly from a listener, kind of tangentially related to what we're talking about. Uh, e. Jones New NYC says, how does the WSL fund all these QS events? I'm in the southwest of France watching this event finish, the one from last week. Um, Build-in, contest, breakdown, and for a whopping maybe 200 people per day that showed up on the beach. Who's footing this? This is stop number 40 so far for the QS this year, and it's a ton of work. So that's basically, there's a bunch more, but that's kind of the end of that. Well, I think what happened is at the beginning when Speaker stepped in, they took over, the WSL became, they went, okay, we're going to control everything. And they lost a ton of money because of those little small little QS things where they had to control the podcast, the broadcast and everything. And then they realized, you know what, we need to outsource this shit. And oh, by the way, if... If you know the French version of Coca-Cola wants to come in and sponsor it and do whatever the hell they want, more power to them. Just get the surfers out there and get their points. Yeah. And we're not going to fund a QS 10,000 or a QS 5,000 or whatever. We're not going to control what happens at a QS in El Salvador for 1,000 points. Well, but they are, aren't they? Well, that's my point. I think they started to, but no. I mean, I'm sure there's some parameters, but they basically have gone. And again, I'm assuming this, right? I mean, because it just doesn't seem like anybody – like. 
Like the one in France, the girls' Anglet thing that Coco Ho just won. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. That's like, yeah, it's a WSL event, but who's the sponsor? Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, even some know. like it's like some news corp, or it's like Coca Cola France, or whoever it is. Yeah, they're the ones that are paying for it, and they're getting either good benefit or not good benefit from their dollars spent. To um, and the WSL gets to wash their hands of the expense. I don't know. Do they though? I mean, to our listeners' point. It's a huge ordeal, like the the setup, the breakdown, all of it. Like, what are they charging that sponsor, and is it even covering their expenses for the event? Yeah, you I don't know? know. Who do we got to pay? First of all, is it bo- is it broadcast? No, it was not. Okay, broadcast. so you as far judges, as I know, because I was looking got for it. Operations, you got judges and you got operations, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Permitting, permitting. That's, that's yeah. an operation. Yeah. So. I mean, the fact that you don't have to broadcast it, I'm assuming, is a big chunk of money. You don't have to pay for talent. You don't have to pay for Peter Mel to be there and talk and all that. Right, right, right. But, I mean, they still do have commentators there, obviously. Right, on the beach. But my point is is that yeah, is yeah. that they might go in and go, look, we're going to do a QS4000 in France. What we're going to provide is judges and an assistant commissioner, maybe. I don't even know if there's a commissioner there. Yeah. And we're going to provide... Um, and you have to provide the rest. <laughs> you have right. to provide the infrastructure, you know, and yeah. it's going to cost 10 grand. We don't want to make money on it. You don't want to lose money on it. Just let's break even here. You know, I don't yeah. know. I'm just assuming that they're like, as long as we're not losing money, we want you to do it. Yeah. Well, to the listener's point, this is stop number 40 so far this year for the guys. Like they're doing 40 of these and we're only halfway through the year. So, so how t- many T and E on judging? It's so expensive. T and E on judging, that's all their cost. Yeah. I'm assuming, right? Let's just yeah. assume that. So if Maybe. you come in and you're a Coca-Cola marketing guy in France and you're like, we're gonna do this and you go to your bosses and you're like, well, we're gonna have to pay for a scaffolding. Yeah. We're gonna have to pay for all the little minor stuff, parking, beach permit. Yeah. It's probably ten grand. No, you think so? That's it? For to set up a, a scaffold and get a beach permit in France for Ten days. It's not a scaffold, dude. It's a huge footprint. Like it's a pretty big ordeal. Okay, whatever. I'm just calling it a scaffold. Whatever the footprint is. How, yeah. I mean, how big is it? It's a bunch of scaffolding, right? That's oh, all it yeah. is. You get a scaffolding company. You come in and he set just it loves up. saying the word scaffold, dude. Scaffold, scaffold, <laughs> scaffold. Warm out. Let's scaffold this. Zach scaffold is joining the Mavericks event. Anyway, all right. Yeah. Who knows? Anyways, uh, the more we dig into what the WSL really has involved in their business and like how to make money, we want nothing to do with it. We're sitting here giving advice over the course of the years like, hey, you guys should hire us. We should do your job for you. And now we're like, uh, not interested. Well, it's a huge can of worms. It is. I'm I'm interested. I want the WSL to succeed. So do I. But um... when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well... We got Hurley Lowers Pro coming up. Kelly Slater. There was a pretty interesting piece. Did you see Surfline's opinion op-ed piece about I did. Slater? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the first thing I know, the first thing I, I went to is who wrote this. Yep. There's nobody, they didn't put a name on it, which is... I did the same exact thing. I couldn't believe it. And then I skimmed it for Kelly's quotes. Like, did they actually interview Kelly throughout any of this? And there wasn't, so then I just closed the window. Well, it was an op-ed, but you have to put a byline on an op-ed. You yeah. just can't be. Who's this the is, Ed? This is who we. This is what we at Surfline think. Maybe yeah. his name was Ed, and, <laughs> and that was his there. byline. I don't know, but there was some interesting stuff in it, which is Kelly Slater won his last world title six years ago mm-hmm. in 2011. He hasn't been in the world title race since 2014, and even then, it was slim, slim margin mm-hmm. that he could have won the title Go in his on. last three years he has finished the year rated seventh ninth and fourth which is respectable anytime you're in the top 10 yeah he's only won a single event since 2013 Joe last year yeah and they they made a pretty interesting <laughs> did you read this sentence which I thought was kind of clever they said that matches Keanu Asing <laughs> <laughs> So they equated Kelly Slater with Keanu Singh. Which was France last year, if I remember Which correctly. Which pretty funny. I think you're right. And he just won And Virginia it was last, and he beat Gabe Medina, didn't yeah. he? And he just won Virginia Beach, so we yeah, might be did. seeing him on the tour next year again. Get Rich, excited, Scott. Which is Get excited. waving the flag for six top 16, please. Break the top 16, then we want to see you. Will Kelly Slater ever win another WCT event? Did, Will he? Will he ever win another CT event? Yes. Later? Yes, he will. And what will it be? And when? Outer will known Fiji Pro, um, 2019. That's pretty. That makes sense. Mark my that. words. I could see that happening. It'd Mark be way easier to say no. He's not going to. It'll be after retirement, coming back in as a wild card, and the waves are going to be eight to ten feet perfect, and he's going to smoke everything. Is he retiring? Yes. The By the outfit, way, this is, for the listeners, this is not fact. This is just my opinion. But right. Yes, he's retired. This whole show is just your opinion. Well, I said it like it was fact. So, Look, the elephant in the room, and you and I have discussed this, and it gets kind of personal, but he's had a beautiful girlfriend for five or six or eight years or whatever it's been. I don't know. She's getting to that age where if she and Kelly were to procreate the species, this would be the time to do it. Yeah. Soon, right? Yeah. 
So I would agree with you that she's got to be, and I'm, again, you and I are just riffing, right? But You're the one riffing okay, right I'm now. I'm riffing right now. <laughs> but if she wants to have kids and she comes from a family, and so I'm assuming they, the mother and the father want grandchildren, and who wouldn't want Kelly Slater's grandchildren, right? I mean, it's a great couple. Kelly and Kailani. Kalani. Kalani, they're a great couple. Why wouldn't they want to have kids? And the answer is they probably would. And if you were Kalani, why wouldn't you be going, Kelly, you just broke your foot. Basically, dude, you're 42. Come on. Let's do this. It's over. Retire. Let's get pregnant. Seems like a good time to do that. That's all I'm saying. So I'm saying, yes, he will retire. And he'll be in some specialty events and win the Outer Known Fiji Pro. And he'll hold his one-and-a-half-year-old kid up in his arms. And he'll... He'll like why are you shout shaking out, like shout out to Andy Irons? And You're shaking like he has some disorder or something. Why <laughs> no, is he shaking his baby, the baby, dude? The baby wants to be shaken a little. You, you gotta, can't shake the baby. You, know, you got to keep the baby happy. You got to kind of shake the baby a little. Bit. Dude, you're terrible at taking care of babies. How do you know? Because you're shaking him. Um, Live so, with myself every day. <laughs> so um, he does. We should state he does have like an 18, 19 year old daughter already. Yeah, I think so, she's older than that. Is she? Probably 21 or something. Well, so he might not be interested in having more kids. I don't know. You're right. He might. It seems like he's not. But I'm just saying that there's got to be some pressure coming that way if, in fact, Kalani's parents, Kalani, yeah. Kalani's sister. I mean, yeah. Look, it's just the nature of things is that women, when they reach 30 years old and they haven't had a kid, they have to make that decision. Am I ever going to have children? Which is interesting. She is 30, by the way. She just turned 30. Yeah, she is And he's 45, 46. He can still pull it off and be 65 when the kid's 20, and he can still be 52 when the kid's in Little League. He's going to be in better shape as a 45-year-old than I am at 35. Well, that's not saying much, but... Thanks, buddy. He's got better hair, that's for sure. (laughs) Zero hair is still better. (laughs) Um, did you listen to his the podcast they did with him? No. Are you familiar with it? I am. The, who was it that did it? Um, Firewire? No, there's a new one out. There's yeah, a new one out. That's Firewire's podcast. It's called The Wire. Oh, there's one with Chris. Uh, is it Grow or somebody? Yeah, he works oh. for Firewire. Oh, right? and he did. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was a different one. Okay, no. Um, I haven't heard it. And I'm interested. Anytime Kelly speaks, it's a good thing. Yeah. How was it? It was interesting. How, let me um, ask you this before. Let me interrupt real quick. Please. Did the guy let Kelly talk or did he interrupt Kelly a bunch? Well, Chris, who might be listening to this right now, um, if you read the comments section on Stab Magazine, they'll tell Chris that he interrupted Kelly. Um, oh, like me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I, li- I read the comments before I listened to it, so I was expecting him to be interrupting Kelly, and he wasn't. Okay. Maybe he has in other episodes, and that's what people were referring to. Yeah. But I, I feel like he let Kelly talk. But the thing is, I think Kelly threw Chris off his line of questioning. Good. Um, so Kelly has the ability, of course, to ramble. Yes. And so he'll go off on a tangent. And then I felt like Chris was kind of don't bring it back. Trying. To your notes. Yeah, but he was like, tr- but he a little bit of that. But he was also trying to like riff with Kelly. Good. But wasn't really prepared to riff, so didn't uh. necessarily like have the right questions queued up or whatever. Then he would you- try to bring it back. And it worked. I mean, okay, it wasn't. I see. My feeling is when a guy riffs, don't go back to the notes until it's obvious that he's like looking at you, like, okay, what's the next question? But Kelly does riff, and I think you need to go free form with some him of the riffs are better go. than the questions oh, for, for sure. sure. But at the same time, I feel like it wasn't it wasn't a softball piece. 
Um, but it didn't really come on. It didn't really get at Did the. They ask him if his wife's going to be pregnant. Well, that's what I'm saying. They didn't ask. Yeah. Those so things. then it's softball. Because those are really important things. Well, it's a Firewire I know. sponsor. Well, or I mean, it's yeah. Firewire's podcast. So, no, of course, I, they're going to... Which is why I didn't listen to it. I got the sense that it was... And I didn't know it was Firewire, but I got the sense that it was um, that it was made by a company that was trying to set up an agenda. Like, I don't want to hear Kelly's agenda. I want to hear Kelly riff. Right. Right, right. Well, I still got some interesting stuff out of it. What um, it? He talks about... Bob Hurley. I mean, this stuff was literally five to ten minutes at the end, yeah. um, so it wasn't a ton. But he talks about his relationship with Bob Hurley. Yeah, he's and very that, tight with Bob Hurley. And that when he was up for contract negotiation with Quicksilver, not when he walked away from the contract, but the previous negotiation, which I think was three years prior, Bob Hurley offered to double his pay from what Quicksilver was paying him, and it never came across as a written offer like bob drove up to santa barbara and was like hey man i know your contract's coming up with quicksilver i don't know exactly what you make but i have a pretty good ballpark of what it is i'll double it for you i think you're worth twice that much and kelly was like go on (laughs) like i'm interested you know but bob never actually submitted the offer in writing and kelly said that what he renegotiated with quicksilver was very you know close uh, to what bob was offering he didn't say that but he implied it yeah and then talked about his thoughts on Dane Reynolds, how he felt like Dane was always um, kind of a bad fit for Quicksilver and Quicksilver a bad fit for Dane. And it was always a forced fit. And he kind of encouraged Dane to um, develop something on his own, you know, like his own clothing line. And even drew out some logos for Dane. And like it was going to be called <laughs> it was going to be called Thrift Shop. Oh <laughs> and so because Dane was buying all his clothes at Thrift Shop and like. <laughs> Quicksilver guys are like, dude, we can't get him to wear our clothing and go to the product shoot because Dane was buying thrift store clothes. So um, some of that stuff was really funny. And he, he did criticize Dane's Chapter 11 video. Oh, really? Slater's take on it was like, you always have to be respectful to you know your employer, basically. And the reality is you chose to be with that employer for a very long time. It's not like you were forced to be there. And they provided a lot for you so um it's a little distasteful to go out and slander them he didn't say slander Did he slander him? dane yeah i mean I, we talked about chapter 11 it's more like i said the word slander slater didn't say it dane didn't say it right. uh but i would be offended if i was quicksilver yeah. and my one of my highest paid employees was... just started you know yeah yeah so and named their video chapter 11 <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that let's part. not let's that, not overlook that went that. over my head <laughs> did it really kind of well it was brilliant because dane's first profile video was called first chapter right so it makes sense that chapter 11 would be the final chapter and it's in reference to of course quicksilver's bankruptcy filing wow. um but at any rate i'm restating everything that kelly slater much better articulated in that podcast yeah um so people should go check that out if they want i mean if they haven't already i think everybody probably has but at any rate. So um, I'll tell you what, though. So they never ask the question about retirement, which is the most prescient question, I would think. You know? Yeah. How do you not ask that? I know. I think the, so way, weird the way you don't is because Kelly in advance says, I don't want to talk about retirement, maybe. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. And the other thing is, is that I can kind of give you what Kelly's answer would be, and I think you can, too. What would it be? 
it would be, well, you know, I'm feeling pretty fresh and I'm, you know, I've got a good outlook and all the guys on tour, they're so fun to surf against. So, you know, we're just going to have to, I don't know, we're going to see. I, I feel good. I, I'm looking forward to competing against these guys and yeah. who knows? It's, it's hard to say. Totally. It's a non-answer. Yeah, he'll do a non-answer. Well, my favorite thing about Kelly, as everybody, I think, can agree on this, is that ever since he's been injured, we're getting a lot of Instagram from him and it's gold. Not only is it him posting gross photos of his foot, he posted a story this morning where he pushes his finger into the swollen top part of his foot and it leaves an indent there oh through the end of the video. Like he just, he just pushes his finger there and it you could see his finger mark for the next 15 seconds. It doesn't come back. But also, I saw, I got tagged from a listener. Um, he was leaving surf tips on the bachelor's instagram account so the bachelor from the the abc show on television posted a video of himself wake surfing behind a boat or like trying to and (laughs) kelly's in the comments section like hey buddy it's all in the ankles don't worry about your upper body at all keep it in the lower body and in the ankles and then um somebody this morning tagged me in one which is on an account called kids getting hurt yeah. And it's a kid. It's a collision at a skate park of kids crashing. Oh, that sounds horrible. And Ke- I know. I was like, how does this account even exist? So kids wrong. getting. But Kelly's on there uh, blaming the filmer for even filming the thing. Yeah. So he just. Kelly's popping up all over Instagram. It's hilarious. I'm yeah. A hu- I'm, I'm a huge I'm, fan. I know you are. We are we're both huge fans. I'm a huge a fan, fan of his Instagram actics. Antics is what I'm a fan of. Well, he's all. I'm. I'm always on his. You know how Instagram has that stories, that feed, the you know? stories. Yeah, the, the stories, like yeah. the Snapchat. Yeah. of Instagram. Yeah, he's got some fun stuff on there. Totally. He's, he's always on there. Totally, it's awesome. Um, hey, you know what I was going to ask you? What? I don't know if you had another topic you were going into, but I've got um, tons of topics. I come prepared. I was going to ask you: Are you doing surfboard reviews on the boardroom? Show? Yeah, that's one of my topics. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that board that you got. I took photos of you holding it, the Bonzer. Yeah. I saw a clip of you ripping it, an undisclosed break in San Diego on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, Chaz mentioned some spots down in Cabo. I was listening to your latest, The Grit, with yeah. Chaz. And, and I was like, is he going to name the spot? Is he going to name the spot? And Did he? He named the spot. Oh. But I'm sure he has a different feeling than we do. Ooh. That reminds me of another topic. You just named a spot on Instagram. Uh-oh. Which in, one? In Indo. Are you going to Indo? No, I didn't name that spot. You didn't? No. I thought you tagged it. You geotagged it. Yeah, but I always geotag spots with this place where it's not. Smokescreen it? Total smokescreen. Uh. <laughs> Anytime you see my geotag, it's just always like half a world away from Oh, okay. I didn't act, Obviously, I didn't look at the geotag or I didn't click and open it, but I just thought that you did. I was like, What? So are you going to Indo? No. Oh, okay. That was another smoke screen. I wish Who are I was, you, dude? I wish I was going to Indo. No, I'm just, I was just saying, hey, if you're going to Indo, you should take a look at, at um, Kai Neville's Lost Atlas, is it? Yeah. Because you said like pre-Indo planning, so I thought that meant you were going no. and you're studying Craig Ando. If and I was like... looked at it, I think it said a great second worth a great second or third look pre-indo which is like if you're going to indo this is worth it. <laughs> well i thought you meant you're going to indo so you're studying up <laughs> but then i was like but that means you'd have to go left which I, we all know I go, you don't go. no i go left in indo I, oh, okay. in fact i'll go left anytime there's a good left that comes my way and what is a good left that's up to my discretion 
Well, we need to rewind the tape like three years because I specifically remember you telling me that you don't go left. Unless it's a good left one. I years. always use the caveat, unless it's a good one. Come on. There's a, there's a pause on. and then I say, unless it's a good one. All right. So tell me about your board review and what's... Is um, it like a regular thing or you just got a No, it's one? a regular thing. So I did the Rossitoris Twin by Gary McNeil. I did the um, the Rome Marlin Spike, which is like the MR Super Twin with a little trailer. And I just did the Lo-Fi Zen uh, Surfboard Lo-Fi Bonzer, which I'm riding right now, which is I'm just in, I love the board. And it's a big board. The reason I like it so much is that the wide points forward. It has sort of a, a pure, clean California single fin 1978 type of outline which to me is you know it kind of calls to me and that's a personal thing and some people have different outlines that they're called towards but i really like that wide point forward uh sort of single fin classic california round pintail yeah and it had that and i saw it on instagram i thought i told you this so i saw the board on instagram and i sent the guy cal schaefer a reply saying hey a direct message can i Ride your board and review it. I really like the looks of this board. And it's a very rare occasion where it actually lived up to the look. A lot of really? times you see a board and like, oh, I can't wait to ride it. And you're like, eh, didn't, didn't work as good as I'd hoped. Yeah. And this board actually works better than I had anticipated. So is it, um, are the Bonzer keel fins glassed on? Yes. Okay. And then the center fin is? It's re- a box. It's a box. Okay. Yeah. It's a True Ames Bonzer fin, which is like six and three quarters. Okay. And, um, and the Bonzer brothers are very technical about where you should put that fin relative to the side fin. The Bonzer brothers? Yeah, Malcolm and Duncan. <laughs> the Campbell brothers. Yeah, I call them the Bonzer bros. <laughs> They're the Bonzer bros. Come on. But the board's insane. It's buttery. I really like it. Good. You know? um, and you can read the review on boardroomshow.com. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. And you can see the video. Cool. Yeah, Scott. If you want. Surfline Rewind. Yeah. Shredding. How many times have you been out in the water and go, hey, dude, what time is it? <laughs> it's not because I have to go into work, but I need to go check the, the Surfline Rewind. Well, you got it, man. Um, awesome. Yeah. Cool. What else you got? Um, I'm reading a great book. It's called The Great Bridge. It's about the building and the history and the politics and the people behind the Brooklyn Bridge built in the 1870 time frame right after the Civil War. Super good book. If you're into American history and you're uh, into the politics and the backroom dealings of what it takes to um, to work in Boss Tweeds, New York City, it's a pretty fascinating read. Mm. It's by David McCullough, very oh, yeah, famous yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning guy who wrote 1776. He wrote the John Adams biography. Right, He's written the Thomas. Right. He wrote, I think he wrote, no, he didn't write the Alexander. I bet he did do an Alexander Hamilton. But there's another author that did a very good Alexander Hamilton. But yeah, he's you know, and he's the voice that you hear a lot on PBS or on the History Channel. He does a lot of narration. He's got a very distinct voice. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So, I went to a surf film premiere since I last saw you. Boring. In Huntington Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the short version this time? You didn't. What like movie that? was it? You didn't like that Given review last time. <laughs> I liked the given review. I like your reviews because they're honest. And so now you're going to snooze me? No, I'm just... The whole idea of a surf movie premiere in Orange County just kind of makes a little bit of vomit come up in my mouth. See, I disagree. So I... Okay, I got to find this review for you that somebody sent in. Um, because a listener actually agreed with you where he was like, 
Scott hit the nail on the head. Kids nowadays don't know the anticipation of waiting for a surf magazine to come in the mail like we used to. But he goes, what I've replaced that with is going to surf premieres. He's like, that creates an anticipation for me. I get to go. I get to see something fresh for the first time. And um, so he was actually crediting you. Well, I think I have social anxiety. It's not actually like I'd be okay with that if I could just go by myself and I didn't have to commingle with a bunch of. Sure. Because surfers are the worst. Let's just face it. Like, yeah. There's nobody I'd rather. I, I, I'd much rather be around other people. I don't well, really want to go hang out with surfers. That experience has changed a lot over the years because I've seen something at La Paloma recently where you would expect it to be a rowdy crowd, everybody cheering. And it wasn't. It was dead silence. People appreciating the surfing. And at this, this event, it was the same thing. It was a lot less rowdy than I expected. Here's that comment, by the way, is Ryan Lowe on spitpodcast.com. He said... The kids today will never know what it's like to wait for the man uh, magazine. Man, that hit me in the car. Uh, but I knew, meaning he was listening to it in the car, and it hit him. And I knew that's why I've been upping my attendance at surf screenings. I'm literally creating my own anticipation, much like waiting for the magazine. So this film, it's called The Sea Wolf. Uh, it's produced by a guy named Ben Gulliver. Hmm. I've never even heard of it. And I'd never heard of Ben. And that's maybe, the thing. I maybe actually, it's interesting. I interviewed Ben, and I'm going to post that once the film is actually ready for purchase, which I think might be in October or something. But it was like, Ben, I've never even heard your name. You know what I mean? Like, where did you come from? And the reality is he came from Canada in a skate background, which I'm now realizing a lot of the best films that we see over the years come from outside of the surf world. You know what I mean? Like it's somebody coming in and having a fresh take on it and wasn't groomed under the same equation that we've seen over and over and over again. So the thing is really cinematic. It's beautifully, beautifully shot. It's all in cold water destinations. It's a lot in the North Atlantic, um, Norway, Iceland, Scotland, How long is it? 45 minutes. Is it too long? No. Are you sure? I am 100% positive. Chippa Wilson... Ballerum Stack, Pete DeVries. Are the waves good or are they just average? Epic. 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 Cold. Full suits and booties and hoods. Cold water Indonesia. Hmm. No joke, dude. Sounds cool. And so I was... I 45 was talk- minutes seems long. No, it's not, dude. That It, it needed that much time to breathe. And like, it's not a wine. <laughs> <laughs> all my analogies from this point on will be wine related. The movie needed to breathe. Well, it needs to age too, Scott. Before we watch it, we should wait like two or three years, right. lay it down a little. Uh, no, but so my answer, <laughs> my answer is I always criticize surf film. Like I rarely ever say anything positive in recent years anyways because they're disappointments. This one actually revitalized my love for the, the medium. And honestly, it kind of redefined the genre, which is a bold statement, but here's what it redefined, Scott. Remember when we used to watch films in the 70s? I wasn't around then, but like back that era of film, really what they were selling was the adventure. Like, look at us discover Indonesia, South Africa, these places where you don't know what's around the next bend and what type of wave it is. Well, now they do strike missions to Indo and we know exactly what the wave's going to do, what it should look like, what it, what it looks like on its best day. They didn't catch it on its best day, you know. So this revitalized that adventure spirit because it's all destinations I haven't seen before. I can't even identify. I have a hard time figuring out what country they're even in based on the landscape. So it made me walk away from the film going, 
I've always wanted to go to Iceland, and now I'm going to bring a board when I go there. You know, all right. on the uncharted, undiscovered territory, and they scored. They actually got skunked, but then they went back. They got skunked multiple times on multiple trips, but they just doubled down, went back, and got the good waves. And because a lot of these areas are unexplored, you don't know. You can't do a strike mission because you don't know what's around next corner and which wave breaks right on which tide and all that sort of stuff. But I will say, Indonesia quality waves, but with wetsuits. The other thing that's phenomenal about it, I said it was cinematic. You're getting brand new landscape, brand new seascape, brand new lighting that doesn't exist in the tropics because you're so high up on the, you know, uh, latitudes. It was spectacular. Sounds like a cool movie. Spectacular. I, I, I would like to see it in the comfort of my own home, but that, on a big that's screen. Fine with but me. on a big screen, I'll not in my you, computer. On your small screen, I'll send you the trailer, and the trailer alone, you will be captivated. And that's actually a listener sent me the trailer two or three months ago. And he's like, dude, I know you always like shame surf film, but you should look at this. And I looked at it and I sent an email to the filmmaker that day. And I was like, so whenever you're around, what's the theme of the film? Like cold water exploration, cold water exploration. And there's no narrative, so to speak. There's no narration, so to speak. It's, it's just them like old school in an old cabin in the morning eating like a cup of coffee and eating like oatmeal. A little bit of that. A little bit of that. But it's old school like surfing with some B-roll of like traveling to the destinations and a little bit of that lifestyle stuff. But none of it's egregious. None right. of it felt You need forced. some of it to set up the shit. Totally. Yeah. To help tell the story yeah. non-verbally, you know? So there's no narration at all? I don't think there – oh, there was some voiceovers from the surfers. Okay. With, like, how was that? Totally fit perfectly. Okay, it was. You got to realize this guy's a filmmaker because there's some of the worst. I know voiceover ever by surfers. I, I couldn't agree more, and I've criticized it myself. But again, you got to realize Ben Gulliver. He's coming from a filmmaking background, like he's trained in film school. It's not like oh, good. That's a good. Song. It's not like he's been watching surf videos trying to replicate that. Oh, he's good. like, how do I compose the right shot? Is really his main concern, and of course, get good waves. The other thing I wanted to talk about is Pete DeVries, the Canadian surfer. Yeah. The guy rips. Well, I'm sure they all rip, right? No, dude. Pete rips legitimately. More like, than the others. I've seen Pete. I've seen photos of Pete over the years, and it's always in Tofino somewhere. And I go, okay, so he's the best surfer in Canada. No, <laughs> he's he's on par with Balaram and Chippa and all the other guys on the trip. All right. So I, cool. I was psyched. I was really psyched on the experience. So, If you put Chippa Wilson and Balaram stack and um, – Yaden Nickel and Pete DeVries in a room prior to seeing this film. Would you be able to pick them out of a lineup? I would. <laughs> you then are guilty. You are. We've convicted you of too much. You wouldn't be able to? Hell no. Really? I could probably pick Yaden Nickel out. By the way, my must-see moment is, have you seen Yaden Nickel pushing his little kid into waves at lowers? Corona Kingsley, yeah. Holy shit, that's insane. Yeah. I think I have it on my I think I might have saved it. His um his kid spent more time in the water, I think, in his first four years of life than I have in my entire life. And I think Yaden actually relocated down to this area, to San Clemente. It's amazing. Yeah. Yaden Nichols kid. He's about three feet tall and Yaden's pushing How old is he? I don't know. He must be six or five or four. At the most. At the most. It could be borderline child protective services. Is he actually on the soft top with Yaden or is he on his own board? He's on his own board and, and he'll oh, like. Oh, that's right. He'll that's like right. surf. He's, he's a 
great four-year-old surfer. Yeah. He'll surf and then he'll lose his speed and he'll like, and the wave will catch up to him. And his dad's on a longboard. You haven't seen this? Yes, I have. Seen his dad's it. on a longboard and catches up to him. And when he's at a dead stop, he just pushes him along and he goes out onto the right. shoulder and rips some more. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah. Father of the year, dude. Yaden Nix. I'm putting you all over my Insta Snapchat. All right. Um, I know when listeners Source story, Insta when, story. when listeners are wondering why the conversation's taking a weird cadence, it's because Scott's filming an Instagram. So at Boardroom Show, if you want to see that. Um, did you see that bear at Rencon? Yes. How gnarly is that? That was interesting. It was. I think the most telling comments were that this thing looks really hungry and it's kind of sad. Oh, well, they euthanized it, was, it. Yeah, I know that yeah. too. But it looked like. It, what you know it was bone it was skin and bone yeah so it was down there to find food and they didn't euthanize it because it was on the beach they sedated it and then the vets checked it out and fig and realized it was very unhealthy and kind of at its last phases stages of life so they decided to euthanize it hmm. so it was it was interesting it was totally very interesting yeah totally um all right well you gave your must see oh we got to talk hurley lowers pro real quick Fantasy Wait. Surfer. Okay, go ahead. So anybody who wants to play Fantasy Surfer, I haven't been doing a good job um, promoting that or letting people know that it actually exists. But Scott and I have a Fantasy Surf Clubhouse on FantasySurfer.com. Not the WSL's version, but FantasySurfer.com. Go on there, set your team, go to the clubhouses and uh, search for Spit and join our clubhouse. There's well over 500 people in there. And then if you want to wager, we do 10 bucks, winner takes all per event, per division. So like 10 bucks for the men, 10 bucks for the women. And you can find out how to send that in on spitpodcast.com. Click the fantasy surfer thing and send that 10 bucks. Um, we usually get like 30 people or so who actually contribute to that. So there'll be like a $300, you know, one winner takes all. Um, I haven't yet picked my team. We've got about a week out. A week from publishing this show is when they'll start running the event. I think it might be the 6th of September is the first day of the waiting period. Who's your pick to win, Scott? My pick to win... Lowers. Lowers is Julian Wilson. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm going Jordy. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the conventional wisdom pick. I think... I can see why you would do that. Totally conventional, totally safe. Felipe would be another super safe bet. I have a hard time seeing anybody beat Felipe, but I do feel like Jordy's got power over Felipe. But Julian could sneak in. Yeah, my feeling is, look, conventional wisdom is he just won. There's no way he's going to win back-to-back, right? So I'm throwing it out there like if he's going to win the world title, he needs to do something that's worthy of a champion, which is win back-to-back and cement your place moving forward into Europe and the other events at Pipe. Yeah. So he's always been incredible at lowers too. And then, I mean, look, I don't, the forecast doesn't look real great. Right. Which so, makes me think Felipe. Exactly. Or Gabe even. Cause we've been getting these Southeast swells. If you don't know here in Cal- Southern California, we've, the, all the South swells have been Southeast, which means very steep, which means the lefts are going to be better than the rights. Yeah. And so you're thinking Philippe. Well, uh, Julian's backhand is insane. Yeah. And Jordy is – you could criticize his backhand, you know? It's not a strong it's, point. It's not good in small. Small back. He's just too big. Yeah. He's just too large of a man. Yeah. Well, Gabe Medina, though, if it's going to go left, Gabe could – You know what you need to do is when you're on the grit with Chaz, you need to cross-promote. I'm Alex Rodriguez. 
And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Spit. All right. As I am now cross-promoting The Grit with Chaz. By the way, the whole Michael Thompson, Sean Thompson as a film thing is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, Michael Thompson's just fascinating. Do you know him? I know his story. And what needs to be told is the dark side of his story because that's what's fascinating. Illuminate. His whole story is fascinating, actually. His whole story. He's a fascinating guy. I would agree with Chaz. Um, and he's much more fascinating than Sean on a bunch of levels because it's dark. There's some darkness there. Well, there's a lot of there's a look, there's a known drug and alcohol problems, which on the surface doesn't fascinate me because there's a million drug and alcohol problems around the world. But what fascinates me is what's driven a person to that place. You know, what are the demons? What is it that he's not willing to look at? Hmm. That stuff is what fascinates me. Where's he at right now in his life? I don't know. You know, we need Chaz to, to write the story, but it would mean it would need to be, you know, he's got numerous DUIs. Um, you know, there's a reason that he talks with that nasally sound. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I mean, most recently it was like two or three years ago. I feel like he got popped in Laguna beach and that was yeah, in the maybe news. even more recently, but you know, he's putting people's lives at risk by driving drunk. He could assume. Yeah. You know, but I, I do, I do think he's a great guy. I, I mean, I do think it's a great story. I think there's a lot. I, I think he's obviously he's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy you know um, yeah and I, I think it would be fascinating i think just a documentary just on him i don't even know if you need sean thompson in this story i think a true deep documentary on michael thompson would leave people going wow yeah you know there's there's some rough edges that need to be discovered or or sanded off or something yeah you know and it could be that he was always in the shadow of Sean, mm-hmm. you know? But how close were they? They were pretty close. Were they? I mean, in that whole free ride busting down the door era. That's true, yeah. You know, you could. it's been said that Michael Thompson did as much to sort of open up backside tube riding at Pipeline as Sean did. But Sean got the – Sean was the golden boy. But Sean got – was – the backdoor frontside guy. I don't think of no, no. Sean was was off the wall. Yeah, he wasn't backdoor, but he didn't. I mean, you're saying Michael did to open up backside two backside riding a pipe. Riding a what pipe. Sean did to open up front? No, I, I don't. I always think of Sean I, being credited with like that was off the wall, pumping that through the barrel, and like pipe. driving. That and, wasn't backdoor pipe. Okay. That was off the wall. Okay, guys that were breaking down doors, and and I'm not saying that Sean wasn't part of the backdoor pipeline era. But I think Danky Aloha was the guy that yeah. was like, oh, yeah, watch this over this shallow section of pipe. I'm going right, you know, yeah. and Bobby Owens, um, some other guys. And Sean was definitely in there. But when you think of that footage of Bill Delaney from Freeride of Sean, that's off the wall. Okay. That's just down from yeah, backdoor yeah. pipe section. Right. But Michael Thompson was 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 charging just as hard or harder uh, than than those guys 
you know, than Rabbit and Sean yeah. going backside at Pipeline. Well, I guess what's a shame about that is whenever you talk about Michael Thompson, I don't even have a picture in my mind of him surfing. I only think of all this other stuff that we've talked about. Well, if you go back and watch Busting Down the Door again, there's some pretty good stuff in there of Michael. It's very short and limited, but... um, But what I mean is his legacy, I'm afraid, has been um, marred by some of his exploits outside of the water. Absolutely. I I mean, even his, his brilliant marketing legacy with... First gotcha, and then as you guys mentioned, the more core division, and it's still overshadowed by sort of this darker side of him, which is apparently drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And um, let's you know, it's no secret that the guy, you know, there's darkness. Yeah, there. I don't want to. I'm not here to slander Michael. No, Thompson, but he's a I think fascinating he's a figure. Guy. No, he is. Yeah, I think his story needs to be told. Yeah. I think somebody needs to tell that story, but it cannot be Chaz burrowing down with him over a Mai Tai at Dukes. It's got to be Chaz or whoever really willing to go to a place that maybe Michael Thompson isn't comfortable going. Yeah, maybe not. But that's what makes the movie so good. Well, this is, again, tangential, but we've talked about in recent years, um, it looked like the WSL was involved in some documentary that Laird Ham- uh, on Laird Hamilton and his life. Yeah, I saw a lot of that stuff pop up recently that it's actually produced. They oh, premiered really? it at Sundance. Really? It somehow has flown completely under the radar of surf kind because of. Because I think that's where the way they wanted it. That's the I way think they so marketed. too. They're like, we don't, this isn't for them. This is for the people at Malibu and the people Northeast in the Hamptons and on, in Nantucket, you know, that exactly that are, that are like bowing down to Laird. Is it a fluff piece? Cause the Kennedy, that girl, Irene Kennedy, right? Or Ethel, which Kennedy wasn't it one of the Kennedys that produced yeah. it. She's a world renowned document or she's an award winning, at least documentarian. Yeah. It's I'll, a Kennedy. I'll give you her name. I want to say it's Irene Kennedy. It's, um, Take Every Wave is the name of the movie. Oh I know. Rory. Rory Kennedy. Rory. And she's neighbors. Speaking of Malibu, she's neighbors with Larry. Yeah, which I'm a little, I'm already like, I know. there's a little vomit no, in my mouth. No, trust me. Because- I feel the same way. The title alone, Take Every Wave, that sounds, and they probably don't mean it to, but it sounds so... Um, Laird-like. Laird-like and like just like, hey, get out of my way. I'm on this wave, you know, like... No, I'm, exactly. I'm sure that's not what they meant. I'm sure. I'm was, sure it is what they meant. No, I'm sure what he meant was like, or maybe maybe I'm not sure, but what I thought he meant to imply was like, take every opportunity that comes. Take away. life by the carpe diem. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Hmm. But um, take every wave. Take every wave. The life of Laird Hamilton in theaters September 29th. They've started to premiere it at, like I said, Sundance, Hamptons International Film Festival, uh, various film festivals, Newport Film Festival, and. I hope that we get some introspection. There's no trailer for it. I wanted. I was trying my hardest to like actually. This can't be a fluff piece on Laird, can it? Or it's got to be like deep, right? I don't know. It's got to talk about father it issues. Can, it can be either or. Like Laird said, when they, better. They've, been doing, they've been doing some press for it, yeah. and Laird said, "Like, hey, I had no interest in making a surf film." Um, Good. We don't. We don't want to see a surf film. Yeah, exactly. But he and Rory were connected by mutual friend Paul Speaker, who is on the producer credits of the film. Sounds like a fluff piece. We don't know. I I want to know about the fights between Gabby and Laird when Gabby wanted to become a pro golfer. What did Laird think about that? I want to know about the 
the issues between Bill Hamilton and Laird Hamilton, the father-son situation there. I want to know about the mother and Bill Hamilton and how that had an effect on Laird. All of that stuff needs to be uncovered and mm-hmm. more for this to be, in my eyes, a good documentary film. I, I would love all that stuff uncovered. I don't know that it's as salacious as you're Maybe trying to make not. it sound. Like, Maybe it's not. Are, was there a fight between him and Gabby about her wanting to be a pro golfer? I don't was there know. Was a conversation around? You know, it might my not be that. My point is that there, there have been fights because all couples go through fights. Sure, sure, sure. sure. And so I want to know about it. Yeah. Because that's fascinating to me because you really have two alpha creatures yeah. in Gabriel Reese and Laird Hamilton. There has got to be clashes. Yeah. Well, right? they're, they're, I will say without a doubt, they're fascinating people, period. For sure. And please don't give me this is the food we eat, this is our workout, exactly. and this is my lovely day in Malibu. I want, I don't care about the flaws. You know. No, of course. Of course. So, um, all right. I want you to be going, Scott, you got to go see this film. You're going to be pleased. Right. It's not what you think. That's what I'm saying about the Seawolf. Right. But Seawolf, <laughs> still, it's just dudes going on a surf trip. Like, yeah, it's I kind know. of boring. I know. I like, know. okay, I've done that. But the point is, again, reiterate points that we make year after year. There's such fascinating figures in surfing. Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson. Laird Hamilton. And like I was saying with Given last time, Amayan Goodwin seems to be infinitely fascinating as does a Mayan's dad in the film but why aren't we telling those stories i don't know if there's conflict there though there must be but i see conflict with laird i see conflict yeah with um the other one michael thompson michael thompson yeah i see conflict that needs to be excavated given a Mayan just seems like he lives a really cool life and that's great and all that but it's a little bit like okay i mean it's interesting by the way it's inspiring but you mentioned in the last show that you made a surf film I got multiple people contact me, and they're like, what was the name of Scott's film? Have you seen it? Is it any good? Um, it's called you, Between the Lines. You said it was terrible when you mentioned oh, no, the, that you oh, made Oh, that it. was a different one. Oh. That was a different one. Oh, okay. I've done, I came into a project halfway through and had to write up a script for these guys who had a bunch of B-roll but didn't know what to do with their movie. Oh, and that's not Between the Lines? No, that's not Between the Lines. Do you want to even mention that yeah, one? Yeah, I'll mention it. It's called... Um, Sea level pressure. I never, okay. And it's just some guy had a bunch of footage and he's like, well, I've got all this footage. We want to tell a story about. And I'm like, okay. And I just kind of came in at the end and helped him stitch it together. And of course, it's horrible. Okay. But it's got some cool footage of Rob Machado and Ross Williams and somebody else, it might be one of the Malloys, at the northern islands of Fiji. Okay. The northern group that you don't see much. And it's really cool footage. Tom Survey was there, and they did a piece on it in Surfer when I worked at Surfer back in 05 or 06 or something. Hmm. And, and that footage is really pretty cool. But the, the, the movie is supposed to be about sea level pressure. The idea is that there's too many people. There's too many local, there's localism. There's, we've got this resource that's dwindling up, which is all sort of cliche. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a cliche. Now, Between the Lines is the story of two surfers during the Vietnam War. And that's kind of a cool movie. I'm 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 stoked on that movie. Like, you know, it it tells the story of two surfers, two different lives, two different paths taken during the Vietnam War. One signed up for the army, the other was a draft dodger. Mm. And it takes 
those two stories and sort of follows those two guys during a parallel time, you know, 1969 or 70 or whatever it was. What was your involvement in that? I wrote it and produced it and directed it with my two partners, Troy Page and Ty Ponder. You will catch Ty Ponder on occasion if you follow Todd Klein's Instagram. Ty Ponder is a professional bass fisherman. Oh, okay. And he and he and Todd Klein are good buddies. Well, you- and Troy Page is the nephew of world-renowned skateboarder Ty Page, who just passed away recently. Ty oh. Page, back in the 70s, was the guy that did like 7,360s. He would just spin forever. Well, He's an old South Bay surfer. When people reached out to me, I wanted to answer the question, so I did find Between the Lines, and it had a 7.8 rating on IMDb, which is big. That's yeah, actually a really good awards. It's we a won, really good rating. We won some awards. We went to some festival. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not hard to win gold stars it's film festivals they give them out like donuts really? at an aa yeah. meeting why don't you are you done with filmmaking i mean no i'm not i'm totally fascinated by it but what you learn when you do a couple films is that it's a ton of hard work for no financial gain there's no fine there's no money you just got to have you got to have money and then want to tell a story and you and I want to tell stories, but I don't have any money to tell the story. Sell that between the lines to Netflix, dude. We already did. We sold it. It was on PBS. Nationwide, it was on mm. PBS. Mm. And there's still no money in it. Uh, you know, it's distribution's weird. It's, I don't know. At the this model's point, changed for sure. Yeah, there might be a new way to do it, but um, that side of it, the finances of it was in Ty's hands, uh, my friend Ty Ponder, and he... we. He was sort of the executive producer. In other words, he was the money. He threw like you know a good chunk of money at us making it, and I yeah. came on as the writer and sort of the, the editorial driving force. And um, and then my other partner Troy Page was an expert in film. He knew how to yeah. shoot the shots and get the shots and get the B roll and all that. Well, we've got the book on the shelf behind us, yeah. right? And then um, where can people find the movie or watch the movie? Well, it's going to be shown at the California Surf Museum. The California Surf Museum in Oceanside is doing a big um, – they already have a Vietnam War and surfing exhibit up in Oceanside. You can go there now and see it. And the film is going to be shown in October at the sort of the big gala for okay. the, the California Surf Museum. Is it available in – like – People that don't it's live not, nearby. It's hard to get the film. because People of, ask me all the time. I don't even have a copy really? of the film. Yeah. Wow, what a bummer, dude. Well, my partner has some DVDs in his garage okay, somewhere. So, you know so I can, can go get, get them, and I need to go get them because yeah. people are asking about it. Apparently on PBS right now, there's this big Ken Burns Vietnam thing that's coming up. And so even PBS is reaching out to me and going, hey, can I get a copy? And I'm... I don't have any copies, but I got to go get copies, basically. Yeah. But. All right. Keep us posted, dude. People want to know. Fans want to follow. So my kook is Carl Lagerfeld and Vans. Apparently, Vans and high fashion legend Carl Lagerfeld are putting together a collaborative effort of, I guess, tennis shoes, sneakers, and much more to be planned. So the idea that some hardcore skate brand that I knew as a kid is now like in the high fashion world with Carl Lagerfeld collaborating on some sort of high-end sneaker has got a little bit of vomit in my mouth. 
Yeah. But more bummer. power to them. I'll probably be wearing them. If they sent me a pair, I'd be all about them. I just want the world to know I'm yeah. easily sold. <laughs> I'm not even mad about it. Like, Did you see this? No, I didn't. Do they look cool? I, they haven't made them yet. They just announced it. They yeah. announced a collaboration between New York High Fashion and Vans, which I find sort of interesting. Everybody wants to appropriate the surf culture, dude. I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. It's just like... Well, my, my kook is the city of San Clemente and the gated community called the Reserve for filing lawsuits seeking to overturn the protection agreement settled in November 2016 that indefinitely prevented the development of the two, 241 toll road to connect with the five freeway. This is just like the book I'm reading, The Great Bridge. Is it the really? The politics of the coastal community. Somebody got paid off to go in there and file a lawsuit and to go, hey, you know what? The TCA is actually my back pocket and uh, I'm willing to roll the dice because I can, I'm so rich. I probably, this is one of my five or six homes. So I don't really care about trestles and my buddy's on the TCA and he's out to make a bunch of money. And I bought some stock in the TCA and let's just do this toll road thing and I'll get out of Dodge with a bunch of money in my pocket. So everybody knows the trestles toll road has been a, point of contention for a long time and the surf rider foundation has been involved in trying to prevent it from happening um and that actually happened they prevented it in november 2016 but the city of san clemente and again this development uh this gated community called the reserve filed a lawsuit to overturn that decision that took place in November 2016. And their contention is that there was an absence of public comment and environmental review surrounding the original decision. Which is a joke. Yeah. There was like, it was over the top, the environmental review. Yeah. So, so that's they, my like, kook. That's unfortunate. They it just they unpacks. Cannot, yeah. They cannot build that friggin'. What they want to do is connect Mission Viejo to San Clemente. That's what they want to do. And once they do that, they can build up around that San Mateo Valley there. Yeah. Do you know, in fact, right where we are here, if you drive out and you look northeast, that Camp Pendleton Valley, Mm -hmm. that's where they want to build that road. It's going to connect San Clemente to Mission Viejo and just cut this way. Straight through. It's hard to imagine that when you're listening to us, but... Yep. All right. Well, that's my kook. My duke, by the way, Surfline. For their feature called Technicolor. Did you check this out? Yeah. This thing was so rad. Like, I don't know if rad's the right word. It is the right word. Radical is the perfect no, word, in fact. Well done. It was radical, well, Scott. Radical. Let me tell you why it was radical. It's not radical. Radical surfing, radical looking boards, a radical concept executed Radicals perfectly. Radical used way too much. You don't. You're so. <laughs> dude. Come old man bass don't call me dude <laughs> old man bass shaming the young folk for their language so the reality is stab every year does this stab in the dark thing yeah. we've seen in the past that's going to be coming out actually really soon yeah. um and i feel like it's entertaining but it doesn't effectively do what it's trying to do which is give you 10 plus short boards and make an assessment on the pros and cons of each of those boards. The way that Stab does it is they end up coming with a winner. Like this one board works better than those other boards as deemed by Julian Wilson the first year or Dane Reynolds last year. So what I feel like uh, Surfline accurately did was they got they gave you 10 boards. They had three different surfers of varying abilities ride them over the course of a week in El Salvador. And they didn't come out 
in the end saying this board works better than the other boards because we all know that's kind of impossible to do. What they did say is here are the design features and the dimensions of each individual board and here's the pros and cons of each individual board. And it was more objective, I think, than the stab prop, the stab version of it. Um, and I'm just comparing those two. There's been a lot of other people who have tried to do surfboard reviews. I just felt like the Surfline one was a lot more comprehensive and a lot less subjective and just gave me a good understanding of like, well, this design feature worked this way. And then they had footage of each individual board too. In addition to the photos, they had like a two to three minute video of the guys riding that specific board. I just thought it was really comprehensive. Yeah. A lot of people have tried to do this over the years. I thought this was the most comprehensive and effective version of it that I've ever seen. It was comprehensive, which is different than rad. But can it be both things? I don't know. Those Look things, up the word radical and tell me if those things board review is radical. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. It can radical be is Angela Davis at Berkeley. Radical is Dane Reynolds doing a pseudo club sandwich at Haliva in an event. I would agree with both those statements. This was comprehensive and well thought out and well produced. Did you even read it? You did not even <laughs> scroll to the bottom I'm of the feature. It wasn't You'd, radical. Because you didn't even look at it. No, I'm just suggesting that you use the word radical too much. That's all. Okay, we're taking this one to Instagram. <laughs> was it radical or not? Listeners. Maybe it was. Vindicate. <laughs> vindicate me. Uh, okay, well, are we going to go surfing? Uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you something off the air that, that'll dictate it, but yeah, I'm definitely down. Okay. Um, my must-see moment is the Seawolf trailer, so I'll have that on Spit Podcast. And my must-see moment we talked about, oh, it's yeah. the Yaden Nickel yeah, and yeah. his son. And it's on Instagram. I saw it on SK Films. Oh, yeah. You know okay. Steve? Is it Steve? Yeah, I think Kennedy? Steve Kennedy. Um, and he's super tight with Jordy, isn't he? Like, all his Instagram, like, I think Jordy stays at his house or something. No, Jordy lives here now, but uh, um, Steve Kennedy was the filmer at O'Neill. Yes, exactly. For a long time. Yeah, he, and when Jordy first got on the team, so that's their connection. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool, dude. Well, hey, now. How do they get a hold of you, Scott? Uh, you can get a hold of me, Scott at boardroomshow.com. My Instagram at boardroom show. Perfect. And my Twitter at boardroom surf. You're saying that. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Breaking news. Boardroom news? Boardroom news. What? Yes. The Icons of Foam tribute to the Masters honoree has been announced. It is Mark Andrini um, from the San Francisco area by way of Goleta. And Mark, and I'm quoting him now. He says, I'm overjoyed to be considered. For the Icons of Foam event at the Boardroom Show in May of 2018, I truly believe that the show has been a real positive push to keep our lifestyle of custom handmade surfboards and surfing alive and well, and I look forward to a great event. So Mark Andrini and the Tournament of Champions, there's going to be all of the past two-time winners are going to be competing to find out who's the champion of champions. Awesome. Do you know what kind of a board? I can't reveal anything about the board that's going to be replicated. That is a surprise that everybody finds out the day of the show. Okay. I like it. And I can make a guess though, right? Can I make I a mean, public I can't guess? stop you from making a guess. So. I feel like he's known for making kind of hole shaped surf craft. There won't be any holes. Okay. No holes in this. Okay. All the boards are holeless. 
They, none of them have Are holes. Are you saying hole? H O L E. I thought you said hole. Oh no no no! There sir. might be a deck plug put in it. I'm thinking as a hole. Hole. H U L L. Oh, is a part is the design feature that I associate Mr. Andrini with. All right. Well, you know Mark and a certain show. aesthetic as well. But all right. Well, we'll wait and see. Is it May? Do you have dates picked for the May show five yet? and six? Okay. May five and six, 2018, Delmar. Okay. Cool. I'll be there. All right, All right, Scott. Okay. Spitpodcast.com. That's right. Until next time, spitpodcast.com. Adios and aloha. I laugh more often now. I cry more often.